We have been on a, a series is too generous a term. I mean, we've only spoken twice so far, but this is a third week. I've been talking about story and why we as humans love story so much, why story is a good thing. It's not necessarily a bad thing. But, uh, you know, part of this, the, the thing of being human and having stories is we really need our stories to be true in order to feel safe. We've talked about what happens when our stories get challenged. And I've spent the last two weeks illustrating how quickly we are to write stories. And Jesus taught about this. Be careful how you hear. And even knowing that still doesn't stop us making stories. I just had so many funny conversations with people over the weeks since I've been teaching where people are asking questions of me that clearly tells me they've written stories about me from the way they're asking the questions, which, by the way, is fine. It's what we do as humans. But we talked about uh, several different Bible characters um, ended up in trouble by believing their story more than they believed the word of the Lord. And how often the stories that we tell ourselves reveal where our faith is placed or misplaced. Which brings us to this Sunday. By the way, the whole time I've been talking about this, you may have noticed there's been a few things happening in our country. You know, there's an election, an inauguration, a new president, all that sort of stuff. And it just so happens that what I've been talking about has kind of meshed up with what's happening in our country. But the question that we must ask ourselves this morning is, now what? It's great, like this little exercise about stories and whatnot. But now what? I mean, in case you haven't noticed, we have a new president. And for many of us, he's not the one we wanted, but he's the one that we got. So how are you going to spend the next four years? Oh, goody, it started off like that. <laughs> but it's a serious question that you're all talking about, whether you realize it or not. It's the murmuring of your heart. It's the content of the Facebook posts. And, and I, for me, just a cursory glance at social media this week tells me that some people have got very clear opinions on what they're going to do, and they want you to know about it. Again, we're storytelling machines. Here's my story about what I'm going to do. Please join me so I don't feel lonely. Or rather, let me be overt about what I'm going to do so I can tell if you're for me or against me. It's a really dangerous mindset to have. Many of you, I suspect, are resolute in your response. But I thought it would be good this morning that we would take time to consult the scriptures to see if the book that we believe has something to say about our way forward. However, before we do that, might I suggest that we ask for the author's help to understand his word, amen? Because there's a danger that we bring all our pre-understanding, we bring all our story to the scriptures and skip over the bits that contradict our story and read the ones that support it. We don't want to be like that. We want to be good students of the word, amen? We want to be people who love and have, uh, have an appreciation, not just for the content, but for the doing of the word. Yeah, so let's pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you. Oh, Lord, I thank you for the joy of being in the house of the Lord this morning. I thank you that we get to be together, that we get to pour out our delight and our joy of you, our Savior. Thank you that it was all your idea, Lord, that you would save us, that you saved us from an empty way of life and you put us in the kingdom of heaven, that you've brought us peace with you. Oh, Lord, it's so good. And on top of that, you gave us the Holy Spirit. You gave us the Holy Scriptures. And you are never going to leave us. You're never going to forsake us. Even if our storytelling leads us away from you, you will hunt us down with your vast affection because surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. And so, Lord, as a body who is 
who is so submitted to the Word of God that we raise up the Word of God and we love the Word of God, would you teach us this morning, Holy Spirit, would you anoint me to speak the very words that you would have people here today? Would you open wide our hearts? And I thank you, Lord, that we are in a safe place because we're in the house of God. And so would you help us this morning as we look at your Word in Jesus' name, amen. Let's start with this beautiful verse from Proverbs, a very famous verse, but it's such a great foundation for us to start with. It says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Do you feel that? As soon as you read scripture, as soon as you read wisdom, the spirit of wisdom comes into the room and is available to us. This right here, this verse right here, these two verses is an alternative that heaven is offering us to our own storytelling. It's an invitation from the Lord to take leave from all of the hard work of writing and defending our narratives and just come and trust him. And the beautiful thing about trust is that it doesn't require that we understand in order to do so. Trust is available to all of us. I mean, I just love, we don't need PhDs in theology to trust God. And this beautiful seasons of life that many of us are in, in our personal lives, in our family lives, where we bump up to things, we're like, God, it makes no sense. It's an invitation to rest. But I want to fight you and I want to figure it. Yeah, it's an invitation to rest. The option to trust is continually available from heaven. If we're willing to leave the confidence we've placed in our stories, that's the not leaning on our own understanding part. If we're confident to leave, if we're content to leave our confidence that we do know what is or is not happening and just come and trust God, if in all our ways we'll submit to him, we'll find that he'll make our paths straight. And that's true for America as it is true for you and I. There's an invitation from heaven to have paths straightened. Wouldn't that be great? Oh, wouldn't that be beautiful? Uh, I was preparing this and I had this observation that just kind of fell and I thought, oh, I'll pick that up and I'll share it with everybody else. What if, and I'm serious here, what if you and I are put on the earth to reveal an alternative way of living for unbelievers to witness? What if we traded our outrage for trust and for just confidence and for stillness to the point where unbelievers would ask us for the reason for our stillness and our confidence and we could introduce them to the Prince of Peace. So, you know, I picked this verse because I said, hey, we need to work out how we're going to live. So what does this verse teach us about how to live? Well, it says we're going to, as people of God, we're going to refuse to lean on our understanding. And in all our ways, we're going to choose to submit to him and we're going to trust him. Great. Good, good. Straightforward. But probably, you're probably thinking, hey, Alan, love that verse. Great verse. Yeah, memorized it. Got a cross stitch on a pillow. Love it, love it, love it. That whole thing about in all your ways, is that a pretty solid all? Like, is that watertight? Is there any wiggle room in that? Because I'm hoping, I'm imagining, I'm, I'm deeply desiring that it means all your ways except for your political preferences. Is there a possibility that's in there? Well, see, here's the thing. The Hebrew word there for all is call, which means all, every, any, 
and everything, or the totality of a mass or collective, or a particular of a totality, so pretty watertight. Yeah, pretty all-encompassing. In all our ways, we are to submit to God. And one of the ways that we demonstrate that we are submitted to the Lord God of heaven is by honoring and obeying his word. I know it's radical, isn't it? I'm teaching that as followers of Christ, we submit to the word of God. And yet some of you are cautious. (laughs) You're like, do we need seatbelts for this one? No, no, it's all gonna be fine. How about if that's our goal, to live out scripture, to demonstrate, not just memorize it, not just quote it at people we don't like, but live it out. Because that's what we're told to do. Do not merely read the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Let's look together at this next passage and if we can, see if we can't find a way to do what this passage says. It's written by Paul. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And he starts by saying, I urge. Now let's stop right there. That's a curious second word to start a letter. I urge. Paul, like, why the effort? Urge means to try earnestly and consistently or to persuade with tremendous effort. So what is he asking his fellow believers to do that is requiring him to urge them? Like, guys, I'm urging you. I mean, I assume it's something ghastly or horrendously arduous or costly or sacrificial, right? Well, let's read on. I urge then, first of all, that petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. You might be thinking, well, what's so hard about that? I mean, he's just asking fellow believers to pray for our leaders. Like, what, like why the urging? Why the, the emphasis on, guys, please, 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 for the love of all that's holy, do this. Well, on closer look, it's not that he's just asking that we pray for them, but that we offer up thanks for them too. Apparently, the reason that Paul had to urge them to do this is because the people weren't very thankful for the leaders they had. I mean, that would make sense, certainly in light of what we talked about last week, about what it was like for, you know, to live in the first century as Jewish people or as brand new believers under Roman rule. It wasn't fun. But look why Paul was telling them to not only pray, but to offer up thanksgiving for their kings and all those in authority. He says that when we do that, it will lead to peace. When we do that, it results in a life filled with godliness and holiness. It also pleases God. And by extension, people will get saved. Now, if at this point, you're doing, you know, mental arithmetic, two plus two, like, wait a minute. Are you, you can't possibly be asking me to pray for the Biden-Harris administration. Then you're right. Like, I don't expect you to do that. I expect you to pray for and offer up thanksgiving for the Biden-Harris administration. But why, Alan? Don't you know this, 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 and this? Why? Oh, Because by doing so, it will bring about peace. 
And it will result in a life filled with godliness and holiness, which P.S. is the thing Christians seem to be railing against. How ironic that we're putting up so much oppositional energy for all of that stuff to go away when there's an easy way to introduce it and it's to offer up thanksgiving for the leaders we say we don't want. It also pleases God and by extension gets people saved. Now, if your objection is that you're not gonna pray for the Biden-Harris administration because they're not your leaders, hashtag not my president, because perhaps you believe that the election was stolen and therefore they weren't installed in a democratic fashion. Guess what? Neither were the governmental leaders that Paul was asking his churches to pray for either. You're in great company and on solid ground. Now, maybe your objection is that the Biden-Harris administration is not God-honoring and are absolutely against heavenly principles. Guess what? Twinsies, so were the leaders that Paul was asking his churches to pray for too. In fact, that might be the very reason that God wants us to pray for and thank him for our leaders so that they get saved and develop policies that are in line with heavenly principles. If your objection is that you just don't feel a witness in your spirit to do so, (laughs) might I remind you that we're not to rely on our spirit, but on God's Holy Spirit, who is the author of the proverb we all agreed with, and the author of this verse that's telling us to do the very thing we're claiming to not feel witness to. Guys, I don't know how to be clearer, so I'll just slow it down and repeat myself slowly. Praying and offering thanksgiving for all those in authority is good, and it pleases God, and it leads to peaceful and quiet lives that reflect godliness and holiness. Now, it's worth asking, what was Paul's confidence that this would please God? What was it founded on? I mean, as an apostolic leader, as a major author of the New Testament, he's got confidence. Hey guys, if you do this thing, which by the way, feels odd, which is why I'm having to urge you to do it, it will actually please God. Well, how do you know? Well, it seems from an earlier revelation that Paul was given by the Lord that he got that insight. About seven or eight years earlier than this letter was sent, Paul wrote to the church in Rome and said that not only were we to pray for and thank God for our leaders, but we were also, wait for it, drumroll, to submit to them. Yeah. (laughs) Woo, yeah, submission, 2021, let's go. Let's read the Bible that we believe. Romans 13. Everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority, hashtag not my present, is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. Not the look we want. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. Paul had confidence that earthly government leaders were put in place by God. Now, if you're wrestling with that and hoping there's a way out of that, consider the original audience that this was written to. I mean, that was an outlandish statement. 
Because this letter is being written to Christians in Rome. Rome was the seat of the capital of the, you know, the Roman Empire. And the person who was leading it was a complete nutter. Nero, right? Seriously, Nero was the emperor of Rome. I don't say this lightly. I've chosen my words deliberately. He was a sexual deviant, a brutal, irresponsible, and opulent ruler who, P.S., also claimed he was God. It's likely that his adopted father was murdered by his incestuous mother so that Nero could become emperor at age 16. Nero then had his mother killed, his first wife killed, stomped his second wife to death, then married a man with him posing as he was the bride, then later took and castrated a young boy and married him too. Oh, then later he pinned the great fire of Rome on Christians and most likely had Paul and Peter executed. The whole time where he is greatly persecuting and torturing Christians. And Paul is saying that guy was put in power by God. Let that sink in and retweet that this week. Paul was resolute. Those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. And so let me repeat what I stated last week. President Biden, no matter your view of him, has been put in power by God. And if you believe he got in because of voting corruption and not the democratic process, guess what? Paul is saying none of that matters because God still put him there. For goodness sake, Nero got put in power through murder, incest, and subterfuge. But Paul still recognized it was all God. God was in control and put him there. I will pause for dramatic effect and take a sip of my water. I had somebody email me this week say, do I need to spike my coffee with something a little extra for this week? It's like, whatever you need to do to get through church, okay? That, that notion that God puts leaders that we don't like in power is consistent through Scripture. I quoted Psalms last week about, uh, you know, promotion either comes from the east or from the west or from the south, but from the Lord who sets up others and removes others. Look at this. We love prophets. Look at this. Daniel. Daniel said the same thing. Daniel 20. Uh, Daniel 2, I beg your pardon, verse 20 to 21. He said this. Praise the name of God forever and ever. For he is all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and he sets up other kings. Daniel is excited about this revelation. And what's curious is the context for why he's excited is, is hard to wrap your head around. Daniel is praising the Lord with this declaration. And what happened Four hours before was that King Nebuchadnezzar, another psychopath, he just declared that all of his wise men, of which Daniel and his friends were included, were to be executed. The reason for their execution is they couldn't tell him what the dream was. Not what his dream meant, what his dream was. They had a dream, can you interpret it? Sure, what's the dream? Uh -uh, you tell me what my dream was. Uh, okay, you're all dead, off their heads. And so he came home, tells his friends, guys, this is what's going to happen. In that environment, he comes to the conclusion that it's great that King Nebuchadnezzar is in power because God put him there. 
instead of slandering the king, instead of accusing him of being a psychopath, Daniel humbled himself and recognized that God had put the king in power for a reason. And do you know what? Out of Daniel's humility, God gave him not only the dream, but the revelation of the dream. What if our judgment is keeping us from our purpose with our government leaders? What if the very revelation they need, they can't get? Because we're like, I wouldn't even have a meeting with that person. Are you kidding me? They're totally super demonic. Stop cursing your leaders and start blessing them. And just let's see what happens. (laughs) Guys, I understand from that pitiful applause that some of you (laughs) might have trouble with the thought of yielding to our new president. Let me say that again. Some of you might have trouble at the thought of yielding to our new president, but you will find zero sympathy from the likes of Daniel and Paul. Any arguments you might bring about your concern regarding the moral fabric or the character of your new leaders will be like, well, guys, I see your Biden-Harris administration and I raise you Nebuchadnezzar and Nero. Guys, I am, I, am, I am sad to say what I'm going to say next. I am watching Christians, pastors and leaders across America encourage other Christians to refuse to submit and honor our president. That's right, they're actively encouraging people to violate these and other scriptures in the name of Jesus We are to submit and honor President Joe Biden. And I don't say that because of the person or the political party or the policies. I say that because of the position. He is the president of the United States of America. And God honors the position, not just the person. He, according to the Apostle Paul, is God's servant sent for our good, just as Trump was. Please note, this argument that I'm presenting to you isn't based on my evaluation of Biden. It isn't based on my evaluation of his track record, his his policies, or even my opinion of him. It's based on the clear teaching of the New Testament. I would be preaching the same message no matter who got in. And in fact, it's the same message I had to preach to other Christians four years ago. It's like, how can a Donald Trump be used by God? I don't understand why all these other leaders are like, yay, help me. I'm like, oh, yeah, let's turn to the Bible. The same scriptures. One night this week, I... Just, I went into to my room just to be with the Lord and I, I grabbed my Bible and I sat down. And it's important you understand, I wasn't reading my Bible to prepare to teach. I wasn't reading my Bible for study. I was reading my Bible for pleasure. I just sat down. I just felt this quickening in my spirit, this hunger. I was like, oh Lord, would you feed me? I'd, I had had such a great week with the Lord all week. I've just really enjoyed being with the Lord. And so I sit down and I open my Bible and just say, Lord, what, where would you love me to read? Holy Spirit, what is it you would love me to read? And I was drawn to two books. I was drawn to 1 Peter and 2 Peter. I know, some of you know your Bible. I got to the second chapter of 1 Peter and I kid you not, 
This is what I read. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. I don't think there is a more needed and more apt word in this season for America than this passage right here. And Peter is saying again about one of the most sexually perverse, abusive and corrupt leaders. Hey guys, for the Lord's sake, submit to him. Now what's crazy is the timing of this letter. First Peter was written the same year that Rome just burnt down and Nero pinned it on all the Christians. He's writing this nearly on the eve of Nero killing him. The whole, I don't know if the Holy Spirit revealed to him that was going to happen, but the Holy Spirit knew it was going to happen. And was like, put this down. The, the, the early church reading this letter would be well aware of who Nero was and what had happened by then. They're like, are you sure we're submitting to this guy? Yeah, absolutely. Now, if you're sitting there going, that makes no sense. P.S., let me pause for a second. That makes perfect sense. Why? Because there's no cost to you. It makes perfect sense for us to sit and look back and review the early church and be like, yeah, yeah, they had to. But when it becomes real time for us, when it becomes about changing our language and changing our bumper stickers and what kind of conversation we're gonna have with people, oh my gosh, that costs so much. So if you're thinking, that makes no sense. It only makes no sense if we demand that we get to lean on our own understanding. But in a kingdom where we die to live, in a kingdom where we lose our life to save it, in a kingdom where we give first and receive later, it makes a lot of sense. In following a king who modeled what it looked like to submit, even unto death at the hands of the same government, it makes genius sense. Now watch this. We don't submit because we have to. We submit because we get to. Look at what Peter writes. He said, live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. I am filled with chagrin as seeing so many followers of Jesus using their freedom to sin in spectacular ways, using their words to curse or condemn, or to dishonor, or to stir up dissension instead of honor and submission. I was praying the other day and I heard the Holy Spirit say, yeah, while you've got the freedom of, while you've got the freedom of speech, you also have the right to remain silent. <laughs> Some of us would do well to avail ourselves of that right. As my mother used to say, Alan, if you don't have anything helpful to say, just say nothing at all. I mean, wisdom from the grave. Thank you, mom. Peter is saying, use the freedom that you have to throw yourself into obedience to God's kingdom. Show proper respect to everyone. Fear God and honor the emperor. My fear is that some 
in the body of Christ have brought tremendous shame upon the name of Jesus by the way they've behaved and the rhetoric they have spouted. I'm talking about Christians who've been dishonoring toward President Trump's administration or more recently to President Biden's administration. Being an evangelical Christian in America today looks like a stereotype I'm not sure I even want to belong to. Peter is saying that if we do God's will, that is to submit to our government leaders and show them honor, we can silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. But this raises an important point for all of us. How do you submit to human authority when you oppose their policies? How can you honor a president who promotes policies in clear contrast to biblical values? Well, thankfully, those questions have been answered beautifully throughout Scripture with examples for us to follow in both the Old and the New Testament. For example, there's several passages in the New Testament that teach us how to honor but also disobey. Peter, the, the author of this, remember Peter and John were forbidden from preaching about Jesus. And their response when they were instructed, they said, we must obey God rather than human beings. Or how about Daniel that we just read about? Daniel 3, Nebuchadnezzar, in a genius moment of leadership, decides to build a big golden statue. It's like everybody has to bow down. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were like, oh, we want to honor you, but we can't do that. Like we're forbidden from doing that. And the Lord honored them. Or when Pharaoh demanded that all the Hebrew baby boys under two get slaughtered, the, the Hebrew women, the Egyptian, sorry, the Egyptian midwives refused to follow that. They disobeyed leadership, but God approved of their disobedience. See, the matter of honor but disobey is actually really, really simple. The golden rule in scripture is we obey our leaders unless obeying them requires us to disobey God. So that's the easy part. Honoring and disobeying, easy part of the equation. Much harder is, how do we honor and disagree? Because all I see at the moment is the disagree part. And sadly, honor seems to be left as a casualty, battered and bruised and bleeding on the sidewalk of social media, as if the only way to get our point of heaven's kingdom across is to sacrifice honor in the process. Well, before I, before I share some thoughts with you from Scripture... Let me tell you what I learned becoming an American citizen. Now, none of this is gonna be revelation to you because you've all lived here, you're all American citizens, you just grew up in it. But as somebody who grew up in Britain, where you know we all just kept our opinions to ourselves and just stiff up our lip and don't let anything, you know, don't have like a public outcry. And, and the only way things got resolved was the House of Commons, the House of Lords, you ever saw that? They're all like, mur, mur, mur. they're all talk over each other. That was our version of public discourse. Then I come to America and I'm like, man, Americans are super outspoken about everything. I like Hagen does. Go, Ben and Jerry's is way better. You suck. Oh my gosh, right? So imagine my delight when I'm getting ready to become an American. Part of the process, you have to do a citizenship exam. You have to learn 100 uh, facts about American history, about civics, about uh, the governmental system, all that sort of stuff. And so AJ and I learn all that. And I was astonished to learn this. This is question 69. It says, what are two examples of civic participation in the United States? And the two that just jumped out at me was one, give an elected official your opinion on an issue. 
And number two, support or oppose an issue or policy. I was like, built right into the fabric of this country is the goal that is noble to publicly oppose or publicly support a policy. I was like, that's beautiful. Like, I'm sure other countries have that, but I've never seen it written down where, hey, this is your job. This is what you're supposed to do. It is the responsibility of every US citizen to support or oppose issues and policy and to give our elected officials our opinions. Suddenly, a lot of the behavior I'd seen online made sense. So part of our civic responsibilities, not just as citizens of heaven, but citizens of the United States, is to oppose policy we feel is unjust or immoral. And doing so is not contrary to submitting or honoring our leaders. In fact, it's the very basis on all healthy cultures of honor. Listen, if we only have a culture of honor that just tells people when they're doing good, that's not a culture of honor, it's a culture of flattery. Confrontation is key to building a culture of honor. But might I suggest that our opposition will go farther if it's coming from a place of honor and service rather than rage and spite. It is entirely possible to honor and disagree. It's entirely possible to oppose with kind words. It is entirely possible to speak truth to power with honor, respect, and submission. There has been so much vitriol in the speech of Christians towards our governmental leaders in recent weeks. There has been so much slander on the lips of some of our Christian leaders that I fear we may have caused Satan to blush with glee. I'm as serious as a heart attack. We do not have license to speak poorly about those we don't care for or those we disagree with. Remember, we're to be the people who bless our enemies. How much more the people who honor our leaders? We would do very, very well to remember the words of Jude. In Jude 9, there's just this obscure, like, drive-by statement that you're like, sorry, Jude, could you rewind and just say that again? Like, there's so much to unpack that he doesn't bother. But this is what he says. He's talking about a confrontation between the archangel Michael and Satan, and they're fighting over Moses' body. I missed that lesson in Sunday school, right? Where's that on the flannel graph? I want to see that. says this, Jude, verse 9. Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Do you read that? Michael, the archangel, out of honor, did not bring a reviling accusation against Satan. P.S. Satan is the bad guy on which Democrats and Republicans all agree, right? We agree Satan is really bad, no redeeming qualities, plenty of stuff to target, and Michael out of honor didn't. Do you know what a reviling accusation is? It's when we criticize in an abusive manner or when we angrily insult someone a.k.a. the content of so many Facebook and Twitter posts under the guise of living righteously. I'm just a truth teller. Got the sword of truth. You know, I'm just going to use it. Just, that's who I am. 
They're like, ah, I'm not sure you know what spirit you're of. The archangel Michael did not dare it to do, to do it to Satan. Why do we feel so empowered to do that to the very leaders Scripture says we should be in submission to? Beloved, we need to clean up our speech. Well, I told you this morning was gonna be like off-piste, so to speak. It's been a little bit of a bumpy off-road. But let me see if I can rein it all back in and, and recap. I want us to understand that we must be careful to not lean on our own understanding. That is to have so much faith in our own story, in our own narrative, that we begin to trust our opinion over God's word. We've got to be people that in all our ways, we honor God by choosing his way over ours. Just a quick reminder, the terms and conditions of the salvation that you entered into, our preferences died at the cross. We've got to be like Jesus, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. We must pray for and thank God for our president. Why? Because we're urged to do so in scripture and we are people who are devoted to the word. We must submit to and honor our president. Why? For the Lord's sake and so that we silence the talk of ignorant people. And finally, we must oppose policies that contradict heaven's values with grace and with kindness and with the purity of speech that reflects the honor and the courtesy of the kingdom of which we are citizens of heaven, not America. Just in case you were, never mind. You, you would have no idea how restrained I've been these last three weeks. The number of, the number of that wouldn't be helpful. It'd be funny, but it wouldn't be helpful. So it's just a mark of maturity. So all my intercessors, well done. <laughs> I'm fully aware that in the, in the last three weeks now that I've covered a lot of material. Some of it might have been hard to hear and I've done my best at anticipating what my audience might be feeling in order to be able to answer the most common you know, questions that I'm coming up with. But I realize that it might have raised questions for you that I, I'm just not aware of, like being a brand new citizen or, or having my own storyteller, you know, having my own narrative. I might be unaware of things that are pertinent to you. And so what I'd love to do is I'd love to create some space to explore some of the questions that we've had. And what I'd love to do next week is instead of me coming with a message prepared, I'd love to come and have a Q&A time where we can just unpack and explore some of this stuff because we, I can't address what I don't know needs to be addressed. I, you know, I've, I've sat as best I can before heaven and just said, Lord, what is it you, you need the people to know? But I know from teaching at the school that questions are so helpful in, in, in understanding, you know, what, what we need as a body. So in order to maximize our time together, because some of you are like, wait, you're gonna do question answer? Are you not? No, this is how we're gonna do it. I've created a page on our website that you can go to, where you can just submit a question. And so the idea is that you, the beautiful thing about writing it down is you have to think about what you're trying to say and turn it into like comprehensive English so I can understand it, which then also gives me time to just go away and pray, which would be way more effective uh, than, you know, I, I don't think I'm fast enough to think on my feet, especially around a topic that I'm really not qualified to speak on. Kingdom of heaven, yes. American politics, no. Like, <laughs> that's just not my area of expertise. I'm sure though, you've probably all been in a question and answer session at a workshop or a conference where the questions that are being asked aren't really questions. You've ever had those? 
They're like, I want to make my point, but because you're not letting me, I'm going to disguise it as a question. Uh, please don't send those. Like, don't get me wrong. I want to hear your feedback. If you've got comments, criticisms, observations, feedbacks, would love to hear those. That's not what this page is for. This page is genuinely for. If you've got questions, if in the last couple of weeks I've been speaking, or even today you're like, yeah, but I'm curious about this, or I'm put it down, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to hope to be able to have some answers for us. I am aware that probably because of our time restraints, I don't imagine I'll be able to get through every question, but here's my, here's my confidence. I would imagine there's going to be a huge overlap between a lot of the questions. And so if you'll permit me the opportunity to edit the questions, if there's ones that are all similar, I'll just kind of collate them into, into a lump sum. Here's where you go. If you want to ask a question, go to gracecenter.us slash ask. Um, and there's just a little uh, one box where you just write your question. It's completely anonymous. You don't have to put your name if you don't want to. Um, and my, my one request is, if it's at all possible, well, it's going to have to be possible because I'm going to take it down. Here, here we go. Let me rephrase that. If it's at all possible that you could ask your question by Wednesday at 9 p.m., Wednesday at 10 p.m., that gives you four days to ask your question. It gives me three days to you know, pray through them. So a Wednesday at 10 p.m., that, that page will go down. So if you've got a question, I would love to hear it, and then we'll do our best next week just to sit with the Word and see if we can't uh, get more wisdom. Amen? Amen. God, I want to thank you so much. You've, I understand that you know, some of this might have been, I don't know what it would be like for you, but I can only guess. But I just want to thank you for your honor, your encouragement. I've received just encouraging feedback and just the fact that you would endure with a brand new American just offering fresh commentary on stuff that is probably not new to you. But I hope it's been helpful as we've asked heaven's perspective instead of relying on our spectrum of right or left. Amen. Matt, come and give us some words of knowledge and then we'll go for lunch.